Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. We got quite an episode for you guys. Columbia Reunion, episode four, brought to you by the Powellcast with the GOAT of EMS, Engineering Management Systems, Daniel Rumenick. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know about this video. So like we can have it on or we can have, it's nice to see your face, but I don't know. I know I got, I got, I got to change my chair. Is your middle name Haim? Yeah. It's a good middle name. With a C, right? So you got a C to start. Where did you see that? I just remember uh, DCR. Yes, you are. You're Columbia Uni. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so, hey. Uh, Let's video off, I didn't, I think, like, do me. any prep or anything, right? I don't know, because you're slowing down. Try it without the video for a little bit and see what, see what that does for us. Uh, you don't have to prep, buddy. Uh, this is it. We're doing it. I just have to change my chair because the chair I was sitting on uh, makes too much noise. And, um, you know, I like the video off because that gives me a little more... Like with the video on, it's it's a little harder for me to be more creative. But we'll we'll try. We'll we'll turn it back off, back on, ladies and gentlemen. We'll Daniel roll Rumenick. with the punches, right? Yeah, exactly. Hey, you are the first engineering school uh, graduate to join the Columbia reunion. So welcome. That's that's pretty exciting. You are CISO seven. That's right. And thank you for having me. I feel really honored. <laughs> That's right, you should. But uh, what was your major? Well, when I applied to college, I applied to do computer science. And uh, one year in, decided that I didn't want to do computer science and switched to EMS, otherwise known as emergency major. I forgot what the Solution, is. yeah. It's, it's, you don't know what your major should be in your engineering school. The EMS is like the easiest thing to do. I, I wanted actually to do that created, major from the beginning. Oh, well, you know, it actually created a really big crisis for, for me at home. Because your dad was pissed? He didn't consider it a real major. <laughs> I mean, he's not totally wrong. He wanted me to do something more classical, like EE or CS or some kind of engineering. But I didn't want to. I mean, and look at you now. I mean, you're probably... Your pedigree is, I mean, it stands by itself. McKinsey Consultant, Harvard MBA, um, Airbnb, uh, currently a venture capital angel seed startup, you know, investor. Like you are, uh, you know, it sounds like the EMS wasn't such a bad choice after all. No, I think, you know, it's hard, it's hard to look back and say what would have happened had I done something differently. But I think, College prepared uh, prepared me well, made a lot of good friends, and I think uh, established, you know, a, a good base for the rest of the, my career. Actually, I, I, I it was one of my our EMS professors who helped me um, with my first job offer. Remember Soleiman Kachani? Yeah. What about him? How did he help you? So he he used to he was in a consultant at McKinsey in the past, and. When I applied for a job, when we were interviewing, I asked him to uh, to write me a letter of recommendation. And I think that's probably the only reason why they considered interviewing me. I didn't know you had such a close relationship with him. 
I wouldn't say it was so close. He was one of uh, one of my professors, and you know, got to Did know him go, over like, the course of the semester. Hours? Uh, it's been so long. I don't remember. Because mm. I remember the guy. He was a cool guy. He like showed us some poker papers. Sulman Kachana. Mm-hmm. He's still like the head or de- demi head of the IER department. Any Colombia people listening, shout out Kachani. Um, and I guess that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I never really thought about going to teachers and asking them for recommendation letters. See, the, you're very, uh, what's the right word for it? Um, MacGyver. Ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you MacGyver. You know, one that could shit. call it enterprising. Enterprising, entrepreneurial, my my guess. Oh my God, we got to talk about BCom. But let, let, so let's take a step back. So, are we friends? Absolutely. We're really close friends. We, you know, I'll give people the, sh- the background. We used to live together um, after college. There's a sh- there's a whole drama there, which I don't think you know, we don't need to even cover. And then happy to. But um, it, in college, we met when we were same major. We have a similar background. But you know, I always I always was fascinated because you came from the promised land, right? You came from California. You're one of those people that you know you never even I don't know. Did your parents ever make a stop in New Jersey, New York, before they got to Cali? Yeah, so when my dad came over from Russia, he uh, actually stopped in New York, and he was there for a little while, and he got a job there. So that's where actually, actually, yeah, you probably forgot this, but I was born in uh, in New York. I was born in in Westchester. Uh, I lived there till the age of three, and then I packed my bags and moved out <laughs> to the Bay Area. Boom, Menlo Park. Close, Los Altos Hills. It's just a town next to it. And so, I mean, you grew up there. That's what you remember. You went to elementary, middle school, high school there. Yeah, that's right. And then back to New York for college. Um, what was that like growing up? And like, as a kid, could you tell that you were living in like, you know, the Silicon Valley, you know, Apple, Palo Alto, Menlo Park, right? It's in the movies. And like, some people have dreams of just going there. And here you are just randomly going to middle school and elementary school, maybe with famous people's kids or whatever. I think the the earliest sort of memory I have where I started to maybe feel like there was something going on in the area was um, my dad was an electrical engineer, worked in technology for a semiconductor company. So a semiconductor, he joined a semiconductor startup, which went public, I think in 1994, 1995. Um, that was the sort of first inkling of a feeling I got about sort of the startup world. And then when I was in high school, you know, it was a really interesting time because a lot of my classmates' parents were venture capitalists. Uh, This was late 90s, early 2000s, just during the dot-com boom. And so I heard people talking about lots of really interesting companies and websites. And I think you were probably the same. I was on the internet from the age of nine. And so I thought it was already really cool even before I got to high school. And then learning about all these new companies, if you remember in the dot com time, companies were giving stuff out for free. Oh my Everything God. was free. Oh, yes. I remember having like five free phone lines and free fax lines, and they would send you pens and T-shirts. And I was a high school student just getting all this free stuff. It was, it was pretty cool. I didn't really know what it all meant, and that people were burning tons of money, but it it just felt really exciting. <laughs> Dude, it was awesome. Like I remember being in high school, and you could do all these like promotions and things online, earn like beans with a Z and then you earn these beans for doing bullshit online. Then you redeem the beans and 
and then you could get like $10 Toys R Us gift card. And like, I would make all these fake email accounts, just like run the scam over and over again. Like, oh yeah, here's a new sign up. Here's a new sign up. And then eventually get like 200 of Toys R Us shrewd books. <laughs> and then when I got myself a Dreamcast, I felt like a total genius. I'm like, oh, this is my summer. Like I am, this is my job. I'm making money doing this online. I mean, obviously now looking back, it's like, aha, they just burned some money and it didn't work out for them so well. But that's interesting. I love those times. Do you, do you remember the, the companies that would pay you for putting a desktop ad on your computer? Yes. And, and then people started figuring out you could game it by downloading an application that just moved your mouse every five minutes? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then you just kind of, do you get money? You get like a little bit of a trickle of cash by just having those ads serve up? Yeah, and they were, I think, using multi-level marketing at the time. So if you got your friends to sign up, you were getting some of their points. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. This is, I mean, so we went to high school like what '99 through 2003. That sounds yeah. right. And this was like, yeah. And so when did the dot com, uh, what do you call it? The boom? Is it dot com boom? Dot com boom. Yeah. What about it? When, when did it, it happen? Yeah. I think a lot of people point to Netscape's IPO as the sort of start, and that was in 95. Um, and so, you know, from 95 to 2001, the market was, uh, was pretty good to a lot of people. And the, the crash was in 01? Crash was 01. I think it, you know, Trick kept going down probably until 03, and then things sort of picked up in 03 until 2008-2009. We're in the pandemic, by the way. I'm sure you know. How how are you surviving it? I think all things considered, I feel really fortunate. I'm healthy. I'm safe. I've got a stocked kitchen of food. I'm actually not very good at cooking, so that's another thing. But uh, I think I, I, I'm relatively do, doing doing very well. I'm actually very busy with work. And um, yeah, I'm just happy that my family is safe and healthy as well as well as my close friends. That's awesome. Let's uh, next month, let's do like a, like a video, FaceTime, whatever, chat as we're both cooking. And then maybe I can, you know, you can teach me something. I can teach you something. That'd be great. I've got a barbecue now. Happy to come, come live from, uh, from the <laughs> live from the barbecue. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So that's that's a good attitude. And I was I was reading somewhere that basically wake up every day and think like, oh, you know, I'm really happy that I'm alive, and like be grateful for that. And that you know that should be the first thing you say to yourself. You know, I'm grateful I don't have the COVID right now, as far as I know, and I'm healthy. And and that should you know perspective in life is so important. There was this Buddhist thing I saw an app where it was supposed to remind you like, oh, you know, everybody's gonna die. Just so just be happy that you're alive and just enjoy the moment. You know, as you know, as everybody probably listening or a lot of people know, it's so easy to just get caught up in your mind and not enjoy life. Um, so please out there, be grateful. I'm grateful. Yeah, for breathing. It's it's a nice thing to do. do you, so this pandemic has crashed the economy somewhat. Now it's like bubbling again. I don't really understand the stock market that much. 
Um, and I know it, no one knows what's going to happen, but sounds like you know some stuff. You've looked at the history of the crashes that happened before. And history tends to repeat itself in some shapes or forms. Like, any, do you have, what are you, what's your thinking on what's going to happen next in our economy, in, our, in the venture market, in the startup market, um, in the business, just overall? Like, what's, what's in the technology? For me specifically, I'm curious, technology, like the area, you know, where you, um, do stuff like what's happening? Well, I was looking for a fun word like capitulate, but that didn't make sense there. Copulate, you copulate in the technology area. <laughs> I think you don't mean copulate, but I, I understand the question. I should just preface this by saying I, I'm by no means a, a, an economics or finance uh, historian. Um, your previous guest, Alan. He, he's the one who probably can answer this much better. Um, but, but you know, I do have just a few thoughts, and it's more of just an observer. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a difference between, and I think it's an important one, between the economy and where it's at and the, the sort of public markets. They, they usually are, I think, pretty correlated over time. But if you look in short periods of time, they aren't necessarily giving the same message. Um, stock markets tend to be uh, predictable not predictive is the wrong word, but they tend to forecast what's coming. And, um, so you know, stock markets I, I think, come first, like what, if they're going up, then the economy tends to go up or which one comes. Yeah. First? And vice versa. I okay. think, you know, as, as public investors, people tend to, you know, read news and follow, uh, data as it's coming in and they react to what they see that may come in the future, right? Every, the stock market is basically pricing in, the future. And so mm. you see something that maybe looks like it's going to be very negative. And so you, you sell. And oftentimes there could be other reasons why people sell that push the stocks down before there's anything even wrong with the economy. So I, I think what's happened over the last month is, is a good example. You know, our, we've been uh, at sort of record highs for a while and there were different indicators that the economy may be slowing down. I don't know if it was uh, in a recession, but slowing down. And then we had this virus scare. And even before the numbers got really big in the US, I mean, the market sold off. Mm -hmm. um, but people were selling because they were expecting the world to end. And I think this is a really interesting parallel to 08. So, you know, I, we graduated in 2007. We went into the job market at sort of the peak, and then we experienced and witnessed sort of the great financial crisis. Yeah, it one happened parallel, right there, under our eyes. And one parallel that I've already noticed is there, there, people start to panic, and there becomes moments where people sell, and people sell not because you know, they want to, but because either they have margin calls or they've lost money somewhere else. And so they need to get some liquidity. And so you get these periods of time, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week where people sell far beyond what, you know, uh, a re reasonable um, sort of, uh, they sell to the point beyond which a reasonable investor would, would, would do that. And so I think three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, there was a period where 
everyone was just selling out. I mean, the market was tanking 10% per day. Right. Now, the economy did not go down 20%. The GDP did not decrease 20% on that day. Mm-hmm. People were just expecting the, the worst. I mean, in the great financial crisis, people were selling stocks down to the point where you had to assume the world was going to end. And almost like you know, two or three weeks ago, there was the same thing. People were expecting the world to end and people panic. And so I think that pushes uh, the price of the stock market to differ sometimes from where the actual economy is. It's hard to see. I, I can't see how the economy doesn't suffer and decrease. But if we look back maybe a year from now, are we going to see that the GDP decreased 20%? I don't think so. Um, but it's going to go down. And I think by that point, by the time that we actually see the numbers, we'll, the stock market will already be rallying, pricing in the sort of recovery as it's kind of happened over the last week. So I think that's a long-winded way of saying I think the two are sometimes um, no, no, that was, that was good. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, and now, so, but now we're actually going to start to see earnings or whatever. Like, what is this, what is the reality of this crisis, to your point, the GDP or whatever, private company numbers. And that's when, I guess, the stock market will also adjust its pricing when it actually receives the true data. Because right now it was just reacting to, to panic, to, like you said, I mean, some forced hands, margin calls, etc. Um, and now it's up again. So I know I, I was, I, I'm not a sophisticated investor by any means, but I thought it would go down a little more. And it's done that before, right? It pops during a crisis. Sometimes it pops a little bit and then goes back down even more. But that's not what you're necessarily saying is going to happen now. Well, I don't think people know. But you're, to your point, which I think was really observant, we won't, we won't get companies quarterly reports for Q1 until I think end of April, maybe beginning of May. And that's probably only including two or three weeks of sort of stay at home impact. Right. Right. Q2, which we're now in, and if we go until May or June with this, is going to be the real sort of first impacted quarter. And we won't see those results from companies until end of July or August. And so if you think about that, there's, there's five months until you actually know. And so you've got to, what are you going on now, right? You're looking at death cases and, and how uh, vaccines or uh, tri- trials are progressing to try and make some guess on how earnings are going to be impacted. That's also why there's so much uh, volatility. Right. But, um, you know, I think the old, the old saying of just sort of be patient in long term is absolutely the way to go. Like I, my 401k has been impacted, um, but I don't think there's any reason to worry. I mean, if you just kind of, we'll get through this. Um, yeah, but you don't you, see a collapse of the whole financial system coming. It's hard for me to see that, you know, life is going to end and the U.S. is going to stop. I mean, I, I think this is a terrible tragedy. It's a terrible crisis. But if you look at the history of our country and I think other countries, we've survived and thrived in the face of even worse adversity. World yeah, War II, post-World War II, I think is 
some of the best economic times for the U.S. in sort of recent history. And not trying to say that that's going to be the same thing here, but we are we are sort of um, we are innovative people, and we will we will find a way out. But I want to go back to the sort of the question you asked a little while ago that I forgot to answer. Um, how does this impact the sort of technology space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Fuck, I mean, zoom, zoom, zoom to the roof, baby. Zoom, zoom, boom, boom. I wish I bought some Zoom stock. We we're recording this on Zoom right now, and, you know, it works pretty well. So, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't really have a perspective on sort of the, the public market stocks like Zoom and, and Slack and Amazon and Netflix. Uh, I, I don't know if those are good buys. But what I think is interesting to sort of think about is how how does this market, public market changes and, and turbulence affect sort of earlier stage or sort of venture capital. And, and, and so far, the only thing I've noticed is one, investors, their time is a little bit more focused right now on supporting their portfolio. So they're a little bit of sort of crisis triage mode, helping figure out which companies, you know, need to sort of right size their budgets and who might need to raise more capital. Um, and there are people who are still investing. And if you look back, actually, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2009, 2010 were some of the best, best times to be a venture capital investor. I mean, Google, Facebook, I think uh, Airbnb, Uber, you know, these just come to mind. They were sort of started and funded in the sort of after effects of of sort of crashes and and so you know there's real opportunity in times when other people have pulled back um, and and the other thing I've noticed that, that I've sort of told entrepreneurs is that there's plenty of funds who have who have money there's plenty of capital that's looking for companies to invest in I think for the time being people are gonna pull back on risk a little bit and so that means that there's a lot of dollars that are going to chase fewer fewer opportunities. Uh, and so sort of the, the quote unquote best startups, and, and I think that's sort of subjective how you define that, but the best startups are going to still find money and I think have plenty of it. It's just on the margin, someone who may be willing to have taken a risk on a, on a crazier idea in February is probably thinking, you know, I'm just going to wait right now a little more and see, see how the world unfolds. So I, I think that will continue for a little while, um, at least. That's a, yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, technology is, as overall, I mean, that's the thing that's, I mean, can you imagine doing, the, doing this stay-at-home order without you know, Netflix and podcasts and your phone and everything else that is part of our society? And, you know, I... I mean, I'm bullish on technology overall, right? Like the best time to start a digital product right now. Everybody's at home. Everybody's doing digital things. Half the, you know, a lot of companies are now forced to be remote. They're going to come out of this and they're going to change some things around that will force more remote innovation. Um, I, I don't know what sector I'm more bullish on right now. I mean, biotech also obviously is important, but I would consider that technology. Yeah, in some ways, in some ways, the 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 crisis we're experiencing right now isn't necessarily changing, but rather it's accelerating trends. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, two good examples are sort of remote work, as you just mentioned, and, and delivery, right? So if you look at food delivery, food delivery has been increasing year over year for a while now. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of just the, the same pattern uh, of, of sort of commerce, retail going to e-commerce is happening within, within the restaurant and grocery sector. It has been for a few years. This is only accelerating it. And so, you know, the people that are buying uh, or ordering groceries in restaurants uh, online now, many of them will like sort of decrease the amount that they use it after this crisis. But there's probably going to be people who started using it now and continue to. And so I think we're just accelerating that trend. Same with remote work. People were already working remote. Now everyone has to. And so if you think about a company that went from being sort of opposed to remote to now uh, forced to work all remote, when they lift the stay-at-home order, there's probably, probably going to be a period of time where it's sort of in the middle, where they're getting people back. And I think in that middle, you may see that some people end up staying remote. And, and I think that just sort of helps to accelerate that trend. Yeah. I went to Taco Stand yesterday, your favorite place. And it was like a total, like, I mean, I walk in there, like everybody try to keep your distance, whatever. I use DoorDash to do a pickup order. As four people in front of me, I finally get my place. She goes through like 20 tickets and finds my order that was, this is a full heat lamp full of orders. I've never seen it that busy. Um, not saying that, but, but yeah, they're delivering more food for Shirzy's, um, DoorDash and every other thing. And I had a quesadilla with steak. That was pretty good. Some spicy salsa. It was good. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Remote work will change. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, this, what about small businesses? I mean, or I mean, I guess there's a difference between a startup, a small, a new startup and a small business because a small business is not focused on growth oil. A startup, I guess, by Paul Graham's definition always is. Do you have advice for both of those folks like in this downturn? I mean, I, I, it's hard to give general advice, right? A coffee shop is going to be different than a, than a yoga studio, than a, you know, data services company shout out data Paulo shout out the Pavelcast. <laughs> Hello? You know, it's a, it's a really relevant question. I don't think that, that I'm qualified at all to to provide any advice, particularly to small businesses. It's it's not an area that I um, have much experience in. I think with startups again, I you know, I, I wouldn't probably have much <laughs> to offer yet. I'm so early in my career. I, I was not in this industry in the last sort of uh, downturn. Um, but yeah, I but just use your general brain technology. Like, you know, if you, <laughs> like, I guess you pause up, you pause it, you try to get funding, you, if you have a good idea, you keep pushing, right? Like, that's how yeah. I, I don't know. So I, I think, in, so even, even before, let's say this crisis, in the, say earlier this year, late last year, the, just getting the sense that there may be a slowing of the economy already kind of put me on guard a little bit. And I was proactively talking with companies that I've invested in to start preparing for the worst. And by that, I mean really belt tightening, trying to extend their runway as much as possible to prepare in case they can't get access to capital for a year and a half. And and so I think 
this crisis going into it, people should have hopefully been starting to prepare. Obviously, no one could have expected what's happening, but I think in this moment, you know, more important than ever to survive. I mean, the thing is, you know, it may be painful to make cuts, but if you don't survive, you'll never get a chance to sort of come back. But if you survive, you you can. And so I think it's important to cut um, where you can buy yourself more more runway um, and really rethink everything you've been spending on. I mean, it's actually kind of, I think opportunity can be created in times of crisis. It allows you, it kind of gives you license to reevaluate everything you've been doing or spending money on. Mm, that's a good that point. That could be healthy for some people. Always um, healthy to kind of look and readjust. Yeah, I think for sure. Even as individuals, like, what am I spending money on? I'm spending so much less money now that I'm not going out and, and just buying lots of beers. Like, that's something to reevaluate when the bar is open. Do I really need to spend money on that? Or should I be putting it away so I can fix things and retire early? Fire. Are you still there? I'm still here. Sorry, was there a question I put out? No, there's no question. That was just me. Um, <laughs> this was just me babbling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my point is, yeah, I love a downturn. Uh, downturns are, I don't know, just always like a good downturn. I mean, maybe because like you, I came onto the job market during a downturn. I didn't really understand what was happening. You know, I'm an IT guy. I don't understand the markets. Like I was, I really did not. Like I just know people were really scared for their jobs. Lehman Brothers were shut down, to, you know, late 2007, 2008. But you know, when you're just starting out, you're usually protected at a big corporation because you don't cost that much money anyway. So we were fine, more or less. Um, this pandemic will end. The economy will roar back. Try to survive. Revalue what you're doing. I, I like that. I think that's a that was a really good tip there. I want to take us away from this pandemic for a second. And let's... Um, so here you are. You're, you, you get a feel for this. Silicon Valley stuff, the, the creation of technology, which you go to CompSci and you go to EMS um, and then you leave college and um, then you kind of, you, I'm sure you have a very career. You do some, I know you did investment banking. I mean, you've, you've tried a lot of different things. You've, you've done, you even made a beverage, be calm. Um, what was that like? Was that a fun activity? Like it's like an entrepreneurial uh, thing, but it's hard to make a, a brand of juice. Not yeah. So I learned firsthand how difficult it is to create anything, whether, you know, in my case, it was a consumer package, good, a beverage or software creating something that doesn't exist, I think is, is difficult. And when I look back, the experience was, was v very tough. And, I wasn't sure how much of that was sort of unique to what I was doing or to me or to the sector I was in. But I think that probably what's applicable to many people starting something new is, you know, you're, you're, there's rarely a path to follow. And so I think when you, the jobs I had before, which was consulting and investment banking for a little bit, um, were very clear in like what you need to do. You need to show up, you need to pay attention to detail, you need to work hard, and if you kind of do that, you don't really have to think about much else, at least in the beginning, right, of being yeah. out of college. But when you start a company, there's literally like no path to follow. 
how do you incorporate? Sure, you can like read a lot of information and I will say there's a lot more online these days and advice from like community groups, but you kind of have to make a decision for yourself. How do you incorporate? Where do you incorporate it? You know, how much do you spend? Every little decision is sort of a new thing that you have to, to solve and, and it can be taxing. Um, but it was a it was a it was a good learning experience. Um, I I gained I think an incredible amount of of empathy for what it takes to start a business, what it takes to struggle, what it takes to fundraise. That I you know keep with me when I meet entrepreneurs now. And 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 honestly, the 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 thing that stays with me the most is I know how hard it is. I wanted really to succeed and I know how much these entrepreneurs want to succeed and I want them to succeed. And so I want everyone that comes and talks to me um, looking for, you know, capital to succeed. I may not be the right fit to help them with, with capital, but I want them to succeed because I've sort of been there and seen how hard it is. Yeah. It'd be pretty shitty if you didn't want them to succeed. What, um, would you ever start a business again? I'm not opposed to it, but I don't know if I, 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 I'm not confident that I would be good at operating a, a company or a startup. Do you think like investing boils down to identifying talent because it's such a people driven outcome? That's probably a part of it. I don't know if it's, it's only that. And I think it, probably also depends on what stage or what you're investing in, right? So I, public market investors, I, I don't know how important that is to them. Um, even in the sort of private markets, you know, yeah. uh, and, you know, if you think about, I'm trying to draw, because this is a, a podcast series about data, right? Um, this is the Columbia reunion. We got to talk about Columbia in a second, but I'm just curious about this question first. So, so if I th I'm trying to vi uh, yeah, data Pavel, I'm data Pavel. Yes. Right. So I'm going to draw I'm going to draw a picture for you and then maybe in post you can add some nice graph to this. Um, um, oh, let's see. So what I, what I'm trying to describe is is sort of a graph. On the on the x-axis uh, you have stage of a startup and on the y-axis you have sort of importance from 0 to 100. And now picture two lines. Sort of the top is the top point is people and the bottom is sort of business and traction, right? And then over time, these two lines sort of sort of intersect. Oh, that's trippy, bro. So in the beginning, so call it pre-seed, seed stage of a company, there's largely nothing there in terms of, you know, bona fide traction or revenue. It's still an idea and then hopefully compelling entrepreneur that you believe can achieve the vision they set out. Okay. As, as they, as, as the business matures, you still want that vision, but you start looking at what have they actually done or accomplished. And so it starts to become more about numbers and traction and a little bit less about just the entrepreneur. No, that, um, and obviously the art of it is, is kind of like knowing exactly where 
you know, what, what trajectory, what, what's worth what along those lines, what do you invest? You know, that's, that's, that's what you bring kind of to the table with an experience or, or as you're getting more and more experience, of course, you're still young in the game. I mean, well, hopefully I think what, what people say who've been in this for a while is you, you notice patterns, right? It's about noticing patterns over time. I have a pattern note I've noticed. Rumen, you, uh, Daniel Rumenik uh, succeeds at what he wants to succeed in. That's a pattern I've noticed. <laughs> well, well, thanks. Uh, I, I don't know if I, if I agree yet, but... Uh, He's humble know, about it. Another, <laughs> another pattern. You'll be fine. I'm not worried I'm, about it. I'm, I'm learning a lot. I learn a lot from Good. everyone I meet. And the one thing that I don't like about this business is that the cycle time, the feedback loop, is so long. How do you know if you're actually a good investor? You know, yeah, if you're investing enough. in stocks and you mark to market daily, you could do it for a year and say, look, I'm up 12%. I don't know if that makes you good, but you can point. At least you could you invest have, in yeah. a startup today and it may not go public if for 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. And then it may fail. Like you, it takes so long. No, because really at the end of the day, what matters is how many dollars do you distribute back to your investors? Right. In the meantime, there's some signal around. Does it get marked up? Do they raise the big round? Is it like a hyped company? Right. But you, just, you still have to distribute dollars. So, it, you know, it takes a long time to know if one is good at it. And I, I don't, don't know yet for sure if I'm any good at it. I enjoy it, <laughs> but that's different. Oh, well, enjoying the, enjoying the thing, you know, that's awesome. I don't know if I've ever found something that I, that I enjoy really fully. I mean, I like making dashboards. I'll make some dashboards. I'm starting a contract next week. Let me make some dashboards. Um, or, or just, you know, close some tickets, baby. Mm, love it. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. So you went to Harvard Business School. What do you think? Business school, worth it? Did you learn anything? Or is it all about networking? That's, it's that's just an age-old question. question. I mean, everyone, if I'm, it's everyone an ask question. you that, yeah, you know, I mean, do you, is it worth it to go to a business school? Um, if you don't go to like the top 10, it's, and I say probably not. And then second thing is, you know, is it worth it to go at all? And if it is worth it, is it because you have like some fantastic education? Is it, is it a stamp on your resume? Is it the network? And I always thought it was about the network. That's my perspective on it. What do you think? Yeah, there, there's definitely a range of perspectives, even amongst peers from my class, sure. right? So uh, There's no right answer. I'm curious where you stand, though. Yeah, so I'm definitely not on the side that says, absolutely, for sure, you have to do this. I'm not, I'm not on that side. I didn't know that excited even existed. I do, th- I do people think... People like you have to go to business school, for sure? I don't agree with that statement. Yeah. I don't know if, if I should have gone, but I'm very glad that I did. I think it did benefit me. I think it's in subtler ways than just sort of uh, academic knowledge. Um, but I think it really, the, the, the answer really depends on each person and what they're trying to achieve. And can business school help them achieve that? It's gonna, it may be yes for some people, it may be no for some people. Um, and then the question of which business school. I think that there's probably a lot of great institutions and you can learn a lot depending on what you're trying to do. 
I, I, my approach was I want to sort of build the quote unquote strongest network I could learn from some pretty incredible professors and open doors to new career opportunities. And so that's sort of what I, what I optimized for. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're really into marketing, there are some schools that maybe aren't on the list you're thinking that could be fantastic for that. And if you know, I'm just trying to get better at being like a consumer marketer, that's what you should optimize for. I, and it's funny now that I'm 10 years out, this will be, so I, I went to business school in uh, September, 2010. Can't believe it's, it's almost 10 years. I wrote my essay about 10 years ago and my essay, it's funny to look back now, basically said, and I, I am not even joking. I want to build a career in venture capital. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just think there's a lot I need to learn in the meantime. And I don't know what I don't know. And so I want to go to school. I want to learn about all these different disciplines and functions within an organization. And then hopefully I will end up there. Now it took a long time to end up here, but it's kind of funny to look back and say, wow, like 10 years ago, you know, I, I sort of set my sights on what I wanted to do. I didn't think it was going to happen, but I feel really fortunate that I was able to find a role. You know, they say you got to visualize it. Like, like I've been visualizing a milk maiden that's just beautiful and very with a sweet smile. And I just want that's to meet her. That's for a different <laughs> podcast you do, Pavel. <laughs> No, no, I'm just kidding. I just, I just like braids. Um, <laughs> no, but it's important to kind of know what you want. And I think something you said that I kind of liked is I must, I also, I mean, I know I, sh- I do this. I'm like, Oh, I need to do something, some check a box. Like, well, once I, I want to go to Harvard business school, I'm going to check that box because that's just the thing to check. It's the, it'll be a good box to check instead of thinking about it. Like, um, well, what do you want to accomplish? Like, do you know what you want to accomplish? Cause like checking that box by itself doesn't accomplish anything. So if you know, you want to switch your career and become an executive and you're a, and right now you're an engineer, then go to business school, you know, with a good leadership program is probably a great idea. You know, if you're a, a trader who wants to just trade more, then why would you go to business school, etc. So I think a lot of people just do things, myself included, me first, most of all, just to check boxes. And we don't do enough of stepping back and being like, what am I actually, tr-? And because sometimes you don't know what you want, but it's important to think about that and then go back and figure it out, how to get there. Pavel, I, I was guilty of this too. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I went to business school because I had no idea what I should do. I was a, I was a management consultant, which literally means like I just, made PowerPoint presentations for people. I fin- I was finishing my two Were you in Russia doing this? Were McKinsey. you running out of Russia or Kiev or something? At some point. Uh, not exactly. So when we were in college, I did apply to the Moscow office for McKinsey. Yes. I didn't end up going there, but I did that. Was, so you uh, just did American projects. Yeah. So I was based in the New York office and I worked at, in, in really sexy cities like Wilmington, Delaware. Could you, can you tell me one of the projects without naming whatever is secret? Just like curious, like what kind of project was it? Do you remember anything? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one project was for a really large bank and they were 
trying to figure out how they should change their, their strategy uh, when it comes to customer sort of segmentation and who they target. Um, and this was, just to give them a little more context, this was in 2009, the sort of crisis was happening, the recession was coming, people were really concerned with sort of their, their portfolios of, mm-hmm. of loans. And so they needed to decide, should they continue this approach of a barbell strategy? So you have you know, a lot of really high income people with good credit, but you learn less interest on them. And then a bunch of people who sort of uh, have of worse credit, but you make higher interest rates. And together you get this sort of approach called Balance, a barbell approach, yeah. or do you target sort of just the middle? So that was sort of a, you know, a decision. And all we were doing was kind of running analysis, doing research and presenting to them facts to help them make that decision as well as providing a recommendation. I was basically uh, an Excel monkey. Right. You know, I sat in an office in the summer in Wilmington, Delaware, and I just built Excel models that tried to model out how their loan portfolio would, would be impacted and, have, and sort of how high charge-offs would be based on these different segments they picked. Right. And you, did you learn that in school? I mean, some of it, but you had to kind of learn on the job. No, what I learned that helped me was, and, and this goes, and I didn't correct you before, but I lost, I, I got fired from my first job. I mean, you managed to survive. I lost my job at JP Morgan. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, but you somehow managed to always land back on your feet as you did. You know, but you I, got I laid off have, as part of the a, investment banking group. Was yeah, it? I didn't have a choice. I'm, Say one more time. Banks were laying off yeah. first-year analysts. That's right. So a year after I started, they laid off about half the people in my sort of analyst class. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, sure. It's been a while. And, you know, look, I don't want to paint over it too much, but that's pretty devastating to go from graduating from a good school in 07, which means, by the way, that we recruited for jobs at the end of 06, which was like the top of the yeah. top of the yeah. boom it was gravy and baby oh like, that makes sense that's why we they went like when i was the deutsche bank in the summer of 06 they took us to broadway shows there was always beer and wine i mean it was living easy street baby that i remember sense. being recruited for this one one investment banking job and analysts who were currently working at the bank were telling me we can take you to lunch anywhere you want to go you want to go to nobu and i was like sure i was a college student with no money so they were taking me to nobu at lunch trying to get me to sign i mean it was it was beyond nuts and to go from that to being fired from my first job was very depressing i managed to land on my feet thankfully didn't really have a choice but because i did that first year of investment banking i spent you know 80 100 hours a week just using excel i became pretty good at excel and so Got it. at McKinsey, I spent a lot of time. So you did learn on the job models. in that first job. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Um, okay. So that was McKinsey. And then you made some BCom, and then you've kind of tooled around, did a couple of other things. Business school, it's to each, everybody kind of has to figure it out on their own. That makes sense. What was your favorite food place next to Columbia or in our, you know, a little, Universe, what are we, Morningside Heights? Any, any, anything interesting comes to mind? Anything that's still open? I don't know if what's open. So I'll just tell you what I remember. And I don't remember if they're open because it's been a little while. So 
a good one, but it's not number one. So let's start with, I would say, number three in my eyes. Oh, I like Is it. the spicy special. Mm, 109th Street, Delhi, oh, Amsterdam, God. Delhi. Mm, love it. So good. By the way, did That's you ever there. have it during the day when you weren't drunk? <sighs> I, think, I think I've had it for lunch here and there. Sometimes I would buy like two and leave one over a night in the fridge and then warm it up. It was shocking of how black and white the experience of eating it drunk at night is first sober during the day. Like it was just to me, it was disgusting during the day, but there was nothing better at 3am after a night out at the bars. Amazing. So that's number three. Number two, I think it was, we just called it Taqueria, but it had like a longer name, Taqueria La, La Fonda, I think. Remember they had the burrito, the baby, their burrito was the size of a, of a, of like a recently born child. And it was pretty well-priced. And I think number one, by the way, I think you're on mute. Number, number one. I love that place. I forgot to take my allergy pill. So I put it on mute so I could do it. So and number one, which is very controversial because I think most people haven't even tried it was Bombay Frankie roadie roll. You like that place a lot, huh? That place was amazing. They even gave me a hat when I graduated to to think before my business. I you you turned me on to that spot, and you would love, and it was a good spot. I mean, it was a it was like Indian food and a little wrap. It was it was tasty. Yeah, I thought it was really good. We had a lot of good food options, and I think even since we graduated, apparently the neighborhoods changed a lot. Uh, lots of new restaurants and up and and places. The old ones we probably know are gone, right? Like, like Nuspel and Wu Columbia closed, Bagels. but now reopened as Wu and Nuspel. <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> wow. Is Ollie still there? <laughs> I don't know who that is, but... Um... Ollie's. Oh, Ollie's. Ollie's burned down, I thought. I'm not sure. I guess they reopened. Funny, remember? They, clo- like, they had a few locations in the city, and one of the locations got closed for like super unsanitary conditions. But like college God. students kept kept going to that office. Didn't give a shit. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. What was your freshman year dorm? Uh, John Jay, right? Come on, that's. I mean, I, it's for John the people. Jay. It's not for me. It's for the people. That's how we met. And then I remember I shared a room with the one and only. Do you remember how we Alan met? Sukulitsky? Like I don't remember the day. I don't. Is it when I met you? You were still living. In that shared double, but then you moved to a walkthrough double with Alan. When is that right? Yeah, that's right. I met you before I made that move. Probably exactly. you were h- hanging out with Avi downstairs, like in front of the building, and just probably being like, you know, friendly and loud and emotive. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like that's a better Pavel than I am today. Like I want to go back to that Pavel. That Pavel thought anything is possible. This pile has been beat down by life. Uh, I don't notice a difference. You you feel and sound maybe it's inside my head the same. You've got a great infectious energy that always makes people happy around you. Oh, that's very sweet to say. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to be around people like you. I don't like people I don't like. Um, <laughs> I guess that's everybody. Yeah, so that's how. Yeah, and um, what was your favorite place to study in Colombia? Did you? Are you a big library guy? Not really, right? No, I think we went there together, like, 
right on like super the night before super important finals, like when we had to force. <laughs> well, let's go to the library because everyone else is the there. Can... Yeah, it's uh, it was silly. Not a big library. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember Club Butler? What's what's that? Going to to Butler with uh, some some booze and some solo cups and like <sighs> drinking in the library and turning it into a party. Try, no, I, I mean like yeah, but like you can't really study and party. Butler was a fun time. I mostly. Oh, by the way, I was listening to your podcast uh, episode with Alan Sukolitsky. I'm yeah. loving this podcast series, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, shout out to JJ's Chicken Tenders oh. from JJ's. The best. JJ's is still open, and I'm sure they're still slinging those chicken tenders, man. So did you go back for the reunion? And uh, You didn't go back because you weren't there. I, w- I went for the fifth year reunion, but not the tenth year. I went for the tenth, and... Um, when I go for the 15th, if I go, and if you're there and Alan's there, we should all get chicken tenders. Yeah, maybe a spicy special too. Oh, music to my ears. <laughs> um, all right, all right. Yeah, so Columbia, I mean, it's a. I, I really didn't travel when I was in school. I didn't travel much down to like beyond our little bubble. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what that's how I did it. But then I, I'm sure other people did. I actually, I've been thinking about it. I wish at the time I took stand up seriously and I would just go out to all these clubs in New York. That could have, you know, I it just feels like I'm too old to do it now. But yeah, I guess that's not the case. I, I, I don't think so. I think you should try doing stand up. By the way, now speaking of you know finding opportunity in the face of of crisis. <laughs> that's right. You've got. A very captive audience of people. <laughs> I mean, they are looking for content. That's why we're making this. Yeah, I have a a, a friend that I, I met on this trip to Israel. His name's Daniel Zoller, and he was, I think, getting into stand up, you know, only recently. And then during this crisis over the last two or three weeks, he's been hosting these huge Zoom calls. I think you even joined one. Where I did, yes. he just does his stand-up and people are like loving it. I think you could host a nice weekly, bi-weekly uh, event and just talk, tell some jokes. Do you remember the spa party? At Columbia, we did a spa party once. No. What did you say? You remember, yeah? Is that where, was that the same thing or different than the naked party because i don't remember <laughs> naked party is different which is a great topic we definitely have to cover it before we go today i forgot the naked party is in colombia i mean if the people don't know the people need to know the spa party was very what became, was the spa party uh, it was just at our own it's like it was at mcbain when me and minsky had that big walkthrough double and we um we just had a bunch of Vodka and like you know we did our thing, but we had to, you had to wear like a towel or a bathrobe to be there. Oh, maybe you, you know, weren't there. Honestly, Pavel, the way you're describing it to me, that sounds like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday in your dorm room. <laughs> Sunday for a break. Yeah, Sundays are for doing the homework. Um. Anyways, I'm thinking. Basically, find the list, find that email and the oh, everybody's unis and just send it all out to people and say, hey, 20 years later, 10 years later, we're back. Pablo Minsky experience brought, you know, here's your uh, virtual Zoom spa party. Would you come? 
I think you'll get a lot of people interested to, to join. Yeah, I might do that. But yeah, that's an idea. Uh, you got any hot tips for the audience? Hot tips. It's time for hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. I made you out of clay and this passivore, I will hot tip you. Hot tips. It's our ongoing segment called hot tips, which uh, where you can give any tip you want to the audience about anything you want. You told me I didn't have to prepare anything. Yeah, you didn't have to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to come up with uh, a hot tip. It's not that hard. You've, you've, you've had some good ones already. You know, it could be a book, a movie, a podcast. It could be a radio station, a song. It could be, you know, to juice your lemons, you should put them in the microwave. Um, you know, how to make better coffee. Anything that, anything that you, you know, Japanese toilets, it could be anything. You know, looking back, uh, history will show that my tip was, was really uh, insignificant. But what comes to mind right now is just a really interesting thing I saw on Netflix. If you, if you like Dave Chappelle, he's, he's got a special out on Netflix, which came out recently. And it's uh, just fo following him getting the, uh, the Kennedy Center Mark Twain Award for humor. It's oh, is that really good? Well. I wanted to watch that. Was that good? It's awesome. I, but it's not it him, right? It's just like it's the actual. It's not. It's not a stand-up special. It's just. It's not a stand-up special. It's basically a bunch of other comedians talking about how awesome he is, and it's interspliced with clips of him doing stand-up that weekend in D.C. as well. And then cool. he comes out at the end. It's really well done. Kennedy Center, like, how come they? have this thing where they give this huge honor and it's like a prestigious thing. I don't know the origin of the, the Kennedy Center, but I think it's funded um, by the U.S. government, maybe in part, maybe not. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an art institution and they have different prizes, I think. And one of them is this uh, award for sort of humor. It's the, Mark I, I, I think it's, it's like getting a Nobel Prize for being a comedian. <laughs> That's pretty dope. I would want, I want one. Yeah, Dave Chappelle is awesome. All right, I wanted to check that out. So now I know. That's a pretty good hot tip for me, you got to say. The other segment that's recurring is um, the teleportation transformation experience. So I have this device um, that my buddy Elon Musk led me. I know it's kind of crazy why he's giving me this experimental equipment, but whatever. You don't have to worry about it. The point is I have this device. I got some of that juice. I can plug it in, and we can travel anywhere you want. Um, condition being like we got to use your memories to go there. We basically teleport. Let's go somewhere. All right, where are we? I love it. I love that you joined in with the uh, you know, you knew exactly what button to press. That was amazing. Where are we? Wow. Let's go back to 2019. Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. 2019. Okay, I like it. Was that 2019? 
It it uh it was. If you're talking about the trip we all took together. Yeah, so you, our other good friend Daniel Minsky and I went went up to Seattle for uh for a weekend. It was my first time. I think you'd been there before, right? No, I just I've been there for like a work trip, so I didn't really see any of it. That was an awesome weekend. It felt like a little college reunion. The three back together. It was a great city. A good walked around. It was just really nice. I love that cidery. That cidery. Uh, they have the my favorite cidery. Forgot its name. Starts with an S. Uh, Shilling. Shilling cidery, maybe. The Spice Guy. Oh, we, delicious. We had a lot of really good cider, and we played some games. I forgot which games we played. We played some oh. good games. Uno, maybe? We had friends, Uno. too. Yes. We had friends. I saw my we buddy Demon. Uh, love it. And we had we had uh, some pill we had pilmani, um, which I'm we're not the best pilmani I've ever had. If I'm being honest. Yeah, agreed. Lots of good coffee. I mean, we were you know what I what I remember well what I can see now traveling via my device is like there's a there's a path that goes along the river there, and then there's all these like big tech like this Google campus right on the river. It's like pretty chill. That was uh, and the Lenin statue. I thought it was pretty cool. There's like a big Lenin statue in the middle of the Seattle. Um, they have this like Amazon town where like it's all these new tall buildings. And you just see like people walking around in like expensive like tech cool clothing, and they're making lots of money. And I just feel like these kids don't know what to do with it. I wish I wish I was making. But maybe that's what I should do. Um. It was interesting. I sat inside a brewery next to some like tableau directors or whatever talking about some bullshit. Like it's it's a very it's a tech town I felt like Seattle to me with like an interesting backdrop. It felt like a smaller kind of little cooler San Francisco from a perspective of sort of what people do for work and the conversations you hear in cafes. But uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. Hopefully, it still retains that that charm it has, and um, uh, I'd, I'd love for things to to get better there. It, it was almost like you know, so such a coincidence to see that that was kind of the, the sort of first city to really get hit by this this virus. But I'm glad we got a chance to go see it last year, and and hopefully we'll get to go back again soon. We should start thinking about where we want to go on our on our next reunion trip. Uh yeah, man, that's a tough one. I don't know. I'm down. I'm I mean San Diego or I don't know. Where can we go? It feels so scary to go anywhere right now. Oh, yeah, oh. but things will improve. Um we gotta support the uh the travel industry in our own way. Things will come back. Actually, this morning I read something fascinating. It said that bookings for cruises in 2021 are already above like this year. <laughs> well, dude, we are, we, we don't, we want to go back to doing what we, what we were doing before. We have no business. We don't want to stay at home. We want to go on cruises. Yeah, baby. Cruise time. Juice it. That's crazy. I feel like our, I mean, I, our... uh, that's crazy. No, that's a, I, 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 it, it boggles my mind. People want to go on cruises in 2021. Do you wow. eat Chipotle? Yeah, I love Chipotle. Do you remember the problem Chipotle had? 
disease of some sort? My point is with that, the human mind has a very short memory. <laughs> we collectively have very short memories. And so, you know, this will pass. Things may be impacted, but, you know, we want to get back to doing what we were doing. Yeah, there'll be changes, but we will get back to it. Cruises will come back. We'll get on planes again soon. You eat Chipotle again. People got on planes after 9-11. So... Resilient. You're resilient. Yeah, it's a good... Yeah, it's interesting. Your mind can really get stuck in that, uh, especially if you pump some media into your mind. You've got to be careful about that. Hey, Pavel, you know, you've always struck me as a very um, sort of... of uh, philosophizing kind of person, really into spirituality, yeah, the mind. Existential crisis, exactly. Go ahead. I'd love, I was just thinking about this <laughs> yesterday, and I'd love to know what you think. The difference between uh, loneliness and solitude. Ooh, that's wow, 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 boom, right in the uh, bullseye, I would say. Like, that's what everyone has been thinking about. And a topic that's been on my mind as well because i mean i am i i'm socially isolated from even some friends and i I got to see a friend yesterday which was you know another friend like it was great (sighs) loneliness and solitude it's interesting so to me it's a deep question i love it i mean i guess solitude is enjoyable solitude Sometimes when I go out a bunch, um, just engage with people, et cetera, I want to come home and just like maybe turn on the TV. And I do that all the time, but like this time I really enjoy it. I'm just by myself and I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anyone on messages. I just want to just be by myself and kind of just, and, and sometimes it's hard because that's your, that's what I'm saying. It happens to me usually where I just really appreciate solitude after I spend a lot of time with other people. And then loneliness to me is maybe when I am by myself a lot in quote unquote solitude, but I stop to appreciate the enjoyment of that, of being just with your own thought and just enjoying the moment by yourself, just living, you know, um, and I, and my mind starts to go and it starts to spin up like, you know, like, Oh, I'm lonely. Like, you know, I don't have anyone next to me. Like, you know, we're social creatures. We, we, we crave that. So you start to tell yourself this narrative that can become negative. Like, you know, as you can see other people, like I see people with families. I mean, I have friends with families and you know, they're not lonely. They, for them, solitude is hard to come by. I think inside their house here, I have it all the time. I think that solitude turns into, can turn into loneliness ways I've dealt with it is I think technology can help. Yeah, sure. It's not the same as being with someone, but you can, you can face, my FaceTime has increased a bunch. I've been calling my parents a bunch, my, my family, my sister. Um, I've been starting, I've been trying to stay in touch too. I think, because I think you really, that social connection, like I said to me, I think maybe that helps to appreciate when I'm by myself. Um, it's 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 interesting i think when uh, yeah i mean i you know reason, i think it's yeah the it's reason i asked go ahead. The, the the reason i asked was because i think it high, highlights the difference of perspective mm. um lo- being lonely and being in solitude are physically the exact same thing right 
all only difference is how you look at it. Yeah, it's it's life, right? But like, how how do you always maintain that? I guess I mean, that's a mindfulness meditation has taught me. And if folks on the phone that are listening on the podcast rather haven't tried it, I highly recommend the Waking Up app because what you're describing is being able to step away from the situation and like, okay, and let me take the perspective that's going to make this better. But it's so easy to get caught up in it and not be able to step back and, and then and get caught up in a bad perspective. Like, oh man, I'm lonely. Like, oh, I'm never going to be with someone. I'm always going to be lonely for the rest of my life. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't have 10,000 Twitter followers. Like, what am I going to do? Or you can look at it and be like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm alive. I'm healthy. And my, you know, I got, I get to use technology to talk to my, my friends, my family, you know, all my loved ones. And I, you know, I can work out with my kettlebell. Like, this is amazing. Like, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to just be here and witness life, witness the bird that lays eggs on my door thingy. Perspective. How do you get better at that? Do you know? I don't. And I'm definitely not good at this um, by, by all means. But, uh, hey, well, being aware is half the battle. Talking about it, I think, is good. It reminds yourself to do it. Yeah, I try and remind you whenever I visit in San Diego of how unbelievably lucky you are to live in such a beautiful place, minutes from the beach. I mean, you live in paradise. So when, know, whenever we talk crazy. on the phone and you're, you know, not as as happy and joyful. Yeah, I could be down on myself state, easy. Sure. I'm like, Pavel, look at where you live. I know. And I'm like, well, what does that matter? Right? Because in, in my head, that's, you, know, you still live inside your head at the end of the day, you know, but like, I do love, I do love La Jolla and I'm, I'm very grateful. I am pretty, pretty fucking lucky. Hmm. I wish there was a taco stand near me. <laughs> have, how have you gone out to get any food in San Francisco? Yeah, I, I've definitely been cooking at home and eating at home a lot more. I have done takeout a couple of times, and uh, I think I've ordered delivery once. Um, but the sort of takeout part is is kind of a nice ritual almost to 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 get in the car, drive over to a place, pick it up, and go back home. It's it's nice to have an excuse or an activity that gets you out of the yeah. out of the house. Um, I've 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 also viewed it as a way to sort of support some of the restaurants that I've really enjoyed uh, and like, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean much, just one more customer. But uh, you know, in some way, I like to make try and do my part to to help them a little bit at least, um, stay alive. I mean, gets back Who to you asked yeah, before. Shout them out. Any restaurants? Let's see. People should go. Recommend some. Oh, which ones? Uh, Curry Leaf nearby. I've been ordering. A lot of Indian food from them. Curry leaf. Um, Shout cool. out Telegraph Hill. Curry leaf. Curry leaf. Uh, Tony's Pizza. North Beach Tony's Pizza. Delicious. Yeah, those <laughs> those are uh, those I love. And then I've been I've been going to uh, to Cinderella. Um, I went by Cinderella yesterday. Long line, by the way, as always, to get takeout. Got a nice uh, got two pirschki, got some pilmini. And then, uh, oh, you'd like this. I got some uh, some herring. 
oh my god you're just killing it is this for like a russian girl you met or you yourself want some herring no that was just for myself (laughs) (laughs) i know how you are you're always thinking outside the box hey baby i got some herring let's break the quarantine (laughs) (laughs) by the way can i just uh, one really interesting also shift that's been occurring because of the virus uh-huh. people are doing a lot more virtual dating. This is for me. Like, this is where I should shine. I got to get on this shit. And I think that this is a trend that's not going to necessarily disappear. You know, oh, we went... Yeah, because I don't want to go to a coffee shop. Let me see you FaceTime first and then kind of get a feel for each other. And then we can go meet and then we have a better chance of, like, spending time together, right? That makes so much sense. We had that technology... You know, before a month yeah. ago. Yeah. But no one did it. And now that we're forced to, I think you're going to see people get used to it and probably incorporate that going forward. Oh, I love that. I mean, maybe we'll go to virtual clubs. Like, where's the virtual club at? Virtual bar. Like, that's what I, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Hey, that would be awesome. Why don't you do a virtual, uh, virtual bar night? Like, pick one night this week and invite everyone to the virtual bar. Welcome to Pavel's bar. I love, yeah, like use my technology. <laughs> use the power of data. Have, what have it made, like what has given you comfort during this trying time? For me, I think definitely going back to like some of the food my mom makes and just, you know, Russian food, kasha, just stews. And I mean, that, that's been helping. I made my mom had some pneumonia, I had some pneumonia, like all that stuff. You feel that too? Yeah, I bought a barbecue, so I've been cooking meat. Uh, barbecue meat brings which you comfort. Been... Yeah, I like I like the act of barbecuing and grilling okay. grilling steaks. It's something that you know we've always done with my family. It's a family then, thing, right? It kind of takes you back to childhood. Yeah, definitely. And pilmeni. I've been buying frozen <laughs> pilmeni and making them. They're awesome. If you haven't tried it yet, I recommend all of you out there to go and get some pilmeni. That's a hot tip right there for the audience. Russian dumplings, pilmeni, Trader Joe's. I like the chicken and mushroom with dill. Pretty good, Trader Joe's. Have you tried them? I haven't. Yeah. Tri- I have. I have not tried the Trader Joe's pilmeni. They're pretty good. I I tried them like maybe six months ago, and I was not as happy. I think maybe they changed the recipe because sometimes they do change the recipe. And I tried them this time, and I was I was pretty happy with them. They're pretty good. I mean, look, they're not going to be your your family pilmeni, obviously, right? But they're homemade. But this, you know, made by a machine. But at least they're easily accessible. Pretty good. I recommend. Do you fry your pinamani ever? No. You never oh, always. Is that a hot tip? Sometimes you take some, <laughs> sometimes you take some hot boiling pinamani, and maybe you have some left over. And the next day, you just fry them up. You crisp them up. My daddy wants to do that. Yeah. That is a hot tip. <laughs> Columbia reunion podcast episode four. Here we are. Let's. Uh, you know, I know you got to go. I'm going to wrap it up. Any more like Colombia content for the people, people that are going to go to Colombia, people that went to Colombia, you know, give me some Colombia action. Colombia action. I'm still good friends with some of my closest friends from Colombia. And, and that, you know, that's been, that's probably one of the most magical things I think that's come from uh, my experience there, you know, the people I was closest with then, I think I still am now, like you and Minsky, uh, and then my friend Sam and Tom. And then, yeah, 
John, Max, Matt, all those guys that we were all hanging out with, still still friends with them, and hopefully it continues. Hell yeah. I mean, yeah, that's um, – there's something about just when you're in college, obviously, that, you know, you, you just – those formative years, and you're spending all this time with these people, it, it is hard to recreate those bonds again with anyone else, really. I mean, you obviously will make friends along those lives, but along, – along your life, but it's uh, – yeah, it's interesting. I'm thankful that our our friendship continues to uh, to be strong. Oh my god, you know? we uh, we really had ups a, and downs, a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, the first time when you didn't let me che- copy your homework, I took it really hard, man. Like I just really wanted to copy that homework. I was like, why won't he let me copy his homework? Like I would let him copy my homework. How? Why? This this makes no sense. Like, um, and like you know, we worked through that, and then we lived together. And then like you know, when we lived together, you weren't around that much. You were working hard and. Um, but we still had a fun time hanging out. Then there was an there was an unfortunate, you know, incident where I was I was kind of put in between you and another friend, Barty, and like, and uh, you know, it, it was just like a shitty experience that I'm not proud of. I don't think I acted the best way, and you know, I think it was every, a lot of people were wrong in that situation. But and that kind of really tore in a hole in our friendship um, for a long time, and then over time. Uh, we managed to mend it and get back into it. And, uh, you know, you'll always be my homie. Like, so, so it's all good. I'm, Likewise. I'm and I appreciate you, uh, it. you know, trying to help us get back together, mend, mend the rift. And I think we're stronger now than we ever were before. And it feels good to say that, right? And yeah, uh, I think solitude is good when you have really strong social relationships, whether they're, far away or they're your neighbors but i think loneliness solitude can become loneliness without having those and it's just we're social creatures and i don't know i just i love friends and to me my friends are like my families um are you gonna go you know this is a this has been a great conversation um do you have any questions for me no, this has been great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, my God. Columbia Union, episode four with Daniel Rumenick, C's alumni, MBA from Harvard, Airbnb X, uh, McKinsey X, uh, venture capital investor. This guy had some great tips. Um, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.